This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Wednesday, so it's time for another episode of Everything Went Black, and Ralph and I are going to be doing this new thing called Unholy Passion Classics, and uh, this is one of your your uh, masterminds, Ralph, and I, I think it's a cool idea. You want to go into it a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Welcome, everybody. Uh, nice to be back on here. It kind of feels like every week we're starting a new shit here, so I hope people don't get confused, but I got to keep it fresh, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, we've been this thing's been around for a while. So you, there, you know, if you look back over the whole span of this, there was all kinds of different things that I, I used to do a lot of solo episodes called "Man on Silver Mountain." Andrew Hernandez and I did one about MMA. We did a we, not a weekly one, but we had MMA episodes, you know, and and there was all sorts of little subgroups that went on. Randy was on for a while. We had a topic show which rolled into uh, Metal Matters, you know, Randy being my co-host on that. And, oh, by the way, Metal Matters, sad to see it go, man. Apparently, they're they're shutting it down. Um, the channel, the podcast, everything's gone. They're going to be leaving us soon. So that was a cool thing while it lasted. I was involved on a couple of different levels with those guys. And, um, yeah, it's sad. They're good people, and I hope they got cool stuff cooking for the next move and what they have so yeah that's that's a bummer oh man yeah rest in peace to that like it was like kind of a big thing like for a while i i kind of lost touch like after you left but i heard it was going well for a while yeah the gimme radio thing it's like there was all sorts of stuff going on with them they had like a, a like, like almost like an mtv video channel going on they they would play videos of bands they would do exclusive live things like we did uh, a pre-recorded live set that they aired you know it was like a, during the pandemic so it had to be like a pre-recorded thing um you know and then they had all these different people that were djs on there like dave mustaine randy blythe you know they had all kinds of people on there and uh, i had a show briefly which is like twice a month and then of course there was the metal matters podcast which i'm in talks with those guys about archiving all those old episodes I did uh, on the Patreon. So um, soon those things are going to be going away. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff on there. You know, I, I interviewed sure. Har Harley Flanagan and I talked. There was uh, Phil Anselmo is on there. Like, um, you know, Takis from, uh, from Rotting Christ. Uh, all sorts of people were on there. The episodes I did with Randy, you were on there as a guest. And uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, it, it it would be really cool if I can keep those up there for, for true fans to check out instead of just disappearing into the vortex, you know? Yeah, that would be like, it would be good, like for the, for the, to, like uh, the testimony of like all like the shit that you already did, because I mean, it's, a, it's been a long way, dude. Like uh, you're almost at episode 300 with everything went black and uh, would be a shame. Like if all that work in between, like just fell to the ground and there was a lot of good shit. I remember that. So hopefully they give you the allowance to like the, the, the approval to do that. Yeah, I haven't heard back from him yet. I just because you know they own all that content technically. Sure. Um, yeah. you know, I just want I want to make sure I want to clear it with them before I start like <laughs> putting it on like uh you know a Patreon or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? So you but, should should like 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 all the old hardcore labels here just bootleg it. You know, like just have like a microphone in front of your computer, oh, yeah. let it play and record it, and have like cheap cheap shit quality and put it up on your Patreon. Maybe I can have Lost and Found release it on on. <laughs> right. yeah. what i was out. thinking about here yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 
But uh, since we're speaking about the Patreon, I know it's a little bit out of order, but um, there's a Patreon. So for $1 a month, you can support the show uh, and get access to all the bonus content, which this uh, if this thing with, with Gimme Radio, Metal Matters happens, all those episodes will be on there. But then there's also, uh, you know, weekly, um, you know, staff picks. You know, Ralph, you got one coming out or, you, you know, it's going to be out by the time this this is uh, on the um, on the air. And um, we have a, a whole variety of different shows. Ralph and I, we do we do the uh, Long Shadows show about weird fiction. There's Hollywood Babylon. I do that with um, with Evan Hopper of Quell. We talk about classic movies, things like that. There's all sorts of exclusive material that i put up there like demos for tombs and other tracks of for other projects for future projects that i have going on and then it's uh yeah it's a very um freewheeling kind of free form thing but there's tons of bonus content every month like at least four things go up every month and uh so you get that for one dollar and then for five dollars you get the bonus content plus early access to the regular stream now, in some cases, that's only a few days because, you know, life gets crazy sometimes. But in other, mostly, there's uh, about three or four episodes waiting for you if you do that, that you can listen to whenever you want instead of waiting till Wednesday. And we just rolled out a new sponsor um, level. We had one sponsor so far who, uh, who was able to, you know, do his thing for the I Hate God Go Tour Tour. And that's for $25. For one $25 payment, you can give me copy to read for your business, your band, your podcast, whatever project you want to promote. And that will run once for one episode a month for $25 for as many months as you want to be part of that. You know, and some people just, you know, this guy just did it for the one month and that's totally cool. But if you have something that you want read regularly once a month, you can keep this thing rolling until you're done. And, uh, and that's, a, that's our sponsor level. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's uh, great. Like it's always great to see the stuff on the Patreon. As I said, I want to try to contribute like a more like staff picks. I still have like concepts for some episodes yeah. that I wanted to do. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pr- I will have like more time on my hand for the next four weeks. So I'll record more stuff there. Yeah. One of the other things that I'm looking into, and I know other other podcasts do this, is there there's these like kind of communal events that you can do with Patreon, where you can do a hangout, like similar to, uh, yeah, like a Zoom call or something like that, where you can get everyone on the Patreon to get together and discuss things, and you know, I'm looking into that. You know, I don't, I don't, I haven't figured out how to do it. It probably isn't that hard. I just need to figure it out. You know, but that's. Something that we, I'd like to do that with the Patreon people and maybe pick a topic that people want to talk about. Maybe it'll, I think it should be something that collectively everyone wants to discuss and we can get together and talk about it and just have like a community vibe like that. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, sure. And then speaking of like, so get, to get things in order, speaking of community, let's talk about the, let me see if this works now. The horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> Did you hear that? Was it I good? Did. That was great. It was like okay. completely generic, like the most generic <laughs> voice I've ever heard. Let's do it again. So, like, I, I think we should give the plugs to our friends in the Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. Mike, who do we have? Uh, stop it! You shit. Okay. <laughs> so, kicking kicking everything off on a Monday, we got Brandon Legion bringing us Horrorwolf 666 and Brandon's show is a horror based podcast and he interviews people that are involved in producing acting or sometimes it's one of us you know old school new school up and comers and uh you know people who are old hands in the horror industry and he's had a bunch of really great people one of my favorite people he's had on there is Mick Garris who is like an OG like horror guy director writer like journalist he's done it all he also used to play in a band too i think it's called like horse hair or something like that not i don't know if anyone cares but <laughs> it was some kind of <laughs> some 70s like prog rock band that he had so yeah horse feathers i think that's what it's called someone check me on that <laughs> on tuesday 
We have uh, Jackie Smith coming at you with Into the Necrosphere, and that really is the premier extreme music podcast on the internet. There's no better show than Into the Necrosphere if you're into extreme metal, black metal, death metal, any of that kind of stuff. Jackie brings it to you. He's got great guests. He's got great commentary, and the show is like, in his own words, top notch. <laughs> I have like I have wait I have a friend here who wants to say something about Jackie. Let me let me just get my friend. Jackie Akai, the incredible beef hulk. <laughs> was that in English or what? I don't even know what the hell that was. Yeah. Was that it says it says it says UK Daniel, but uh, I, I'll ask you, ask Samantha again. Jackie Akai, the incredible beef hulk. <laughs> Jackie, the, the incredible beef hulk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday, of course, is everything went black. Thursday, I return with Mike Scandato and Jeff Cashid for Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, which is just us talking about movies, horror movies, new ones, old ones. Um, none of us have any real knowledge about filmmaking or anything like that, or we're not journalists. We just are three guys giving our opinions about stuff, and you may or may not agree with it. We have started taking phone calls, though, <laughs> which has been a lot of fun, really. So, um, so yeah, if you want to you wanna check it out, that's on Thursday. You can find it everywhere. You can find podcasts, and you can and check it. Give us a call. Give us a listen to the episode. We give out a number, and you can be a caller on that show and tell us, you know what your think your thoughts are. <laughs> so that's that's another <laughs> thing we're doing. Um, and Sunday, Carl Carl Hikara brings us Saul Knox, Soul Knox, and um, that's uh, interesting because it's very different than the other shows as well. Everyone has their own unique spin on podcasting, and Carl is doing a show that is focused on all things dark, esoteric, the occult, uh, weird fiction. He and I are doing a collaboration called Darkness Weaves that alternates between Saul Knox and Everything Went Black. And it's um, dedicated to the work of Carl Edward Wagner, a relatively unsung horror and dark fantasy author who more people need to know about. And that's what we're doing. So yeah, that's the whole gang, man. Yeah, and uh, like uh, like I said, community thing, the Patreon, the camaraderie, and the and the podcasting here with the Horsemen, the crossover episodes, and that's why I like the the everything went black version that we like. Yeah, like we do whatever the fuck we want, like you do whatever the fuck you want, and I just like smash in some ideas that I have, and some of them stick, and then we try it out, and people seem to like it. We had great feedback to the. Uh, metaphysics of fear episode i had a lot of conversation about this i was really stoked on that because that was like a baby of mine that i wanted to do so thanks everybody for reaching out and giving us your thoughts and your praise for that <clears throat> i look and, forward uh, to doing more of those man i gotta be honest i'm really interested in that dude like i as i said like the next four weeks i'll have some time i have a lot of thoughts like i like I like said in the uh, in the uh, in the the staff pick that I did for this Friday, uh, there's a lot of gloom in my life right now, so that leaves a lot of time to think. And uh, yeah, if like if your thoughts keep spinning and like you're into philosophy like I am, and you think about life and all the shit you see, you kind of get thinking. And like I've got a bunch of ideas. I mean, we bounced off some some ideas for that already. So I'm I'll, I'll be really stoked to do more of those. Yeah. So and since people are into it, let's let's shoot shoot for the next one soon. Yeah. No, definitely, man. Uh, so the so the two subjects of this uh, unholy passion classics is um we're, we're going we're going way back on this and uh yep. ralph and i kind of came up with these two artists as uh classics that we need to talk about so my contribution is roy orbison and uh, and ralph who's your guy mine is towns van zandt i have to be honest with you man i have only a passing familiarity with him yep that's uh i can say the same i probably know a bit more about roy orbison than you do about towns van zand but i thought like that was the good idea about this when you asked me like if i want to do an episode on roy orbison i was like 
fuck yeah, like I, I need to learn more about him. And then I was like, of course, sure, I could like read stuff on Wikipedia or watch like YouTube documentaries. But I'd rather have it from someone who's like been a lifer as a fan of Roy Orbison. I know you are. And I know like one of our mutual favorites, Glenn Danzig is. And um, so I was like, yeah, that's cool. But like, how about you give me your like one of your classics and I'll like share one of my classics. We both learn from each other. The people out there might know both of them better than we do, might not know any of those guys. And yeah, and so we had the idea of having like more of these classics episodes. So focusing on individual people that shaped our taste in music, who have been with us long for a long time in our lives and have like a meaningful place in our hearts. And I can say this about Towns Van Zandt for sure. And I know you're like, you'll love Roy Orbison. Yeah, I mean, I've always been, ever since I was a little, actually Roy Orbison is probably one of the um, first like rock music people I ever listened to as a kid. You know, my family, my, my now passed away cousin was a huge Roy Orbison fan. And that's probably my earliest uh, exposure to him is the summers I spent in Long Island, you know, listening yeah. to him play it in his room when he was younger. So I, I gotta be honest, man, I don't, Towns Van Zandt, it's like, I'm, inter I'm interested to learn about this because I, I only know very little about him. You know, so I'm excited yeah. about this episode. Yes, that's cool, man. That's, that's the idea. So, like, how do, how do we want to tackle this? Like, you start with Roy Orbison and we talk about him and then I go to Talents. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good to me. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you you already answered one question. Uh, the thing is, like, where did you find out about Roy Orbison? Yeah, yeah that was um, very, very young. Like, the music my parents and some of my family members listened to was very influential on me. I mean, I mean, even these days, anyone who really knows me well knows that I'm a sucker for like New York City girl girl groups and like uh, Del Shannon and like all those like old school like New York from the '50s uh, artists, you know. And not so much. Um, I mean, I like rockabilly too. I mean, I like obviously you know like Chuck Berry and all that kind of stuff, but. The stuff that really got me was like the Shirelles and the Flamingos and that sort of stuff. And then in that miasma of stuff came Roy Orbison. And, uh, you know, my cousin was a huge, huge fan. And I would spend every summer we'd go to Long Island to, um, you know, spend a week or two down there and go to the beaches and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and my cousin would be playing his Roy Orbison cassettes or it might even have been eight tracks back then. Who knows? And uh, as a kid, I, just this haunting voice, man, came out of his room. And I was like, you know, it was only the lonely, uh, you know, in dreams, like all the classic songs, man. Because it was probably a greatest hits thing that he had. And um, it just stayed with me. And then as, um, you know, I started growing up and I started getting into, you know, music and my own stuff. Uh I gotta be honest, the Misfits, man. I saw the connection right away between Roy Orbison and the Misfits and Glenn Danzig, you know, and, and yeah. um, you know, that was like, it kind of galvanized my respect for Roy, Roy Orbison. You know, and then as I got a little bit older, I, you know, I've always, you know, you and I are like a similar in this way where, you know, we like these kind of like sullen men in black, you know, Johnny Cash, yeah. Glenn Danzig, Pete Steele, Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison's more, he's one of those guys. If you were to ask me to give me a give you a list of the sullen men in black singing sad songs about love and loss, those are the guys that I would like present to you. You know, so he's one of those dudes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, just like his whole thing, man. I remember when I then I started seeing photographs of him. He had the dark glasses, the jet black hair. We all wore all black, and uh, you know that that was like as a kid. It just when I <laughs> when I first started wearing all black as a kid in high school, I was like, "Man, this is like a statement," you know. It's like some Roy Orbison kind of thing, you know, or Robert Smith, you know, like one of those. But in my mind, I was more like Roy Orbison than Robert Smith, you know. And um, yeah, so that was that was my my beginning, my entry point with him, very very young age, you know. And then from that, I got into like you know hard rock and Zeppelin and Sabbath and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Roy himself, 
He was born in April 23, 1936, and died December 6, 1988. And he's uh, born in Vernon, Texas, and passed away in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And uh, one of the key elements of Roy's music is that um, the vulnerability that he put forth in his lyrics. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, everyone was talking about, uh, you know, male like uh, machismo and like being a tough guy and you know, all the women and stuff like that. It was like, but Roy was like expressing the softer sides of uh, of masculinity, I guess, you know, getting his heart broken, loneliness, you know, those, those sorts of topics, which, you know, I'm, I'm an only child. Like I don't have any brothers and sisters. So at an early age, I discovered loneliness <laughs> along with like the music of Roy Orbison, you know? Uh, so yeah, those two things are, they go hand in hand and, uh, you know, not having any siblings, uh, you know, you, you start out as an outsider when you start assimilating yourself or trying to assimilate into the different social groups and in, in school. And when you, yeah, you start trying to identify as something and, you know, I didn't quite fit in with the jocks, even though I played sports, I didn't quite fit in with like you know, the other people that were around. I wasn't cool, really. I didn't, you know, none of the girls liked me at that age, and, and uh, I wasn't popular, you know. So it's like only the lonely uh, crying. <laughs> yeah. And in dreams were like anthems for me when I was a kid growing up. And he has this um, <clears throat> this 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 aura about him. That's like when I first... When I first saw Roy Orbison on vinyl of my parents, and I will make the, the the transfer to that later on because like the vinyl collection of my parents plays a big role in me finding out about Roy Orbison, Townsend Zan. Um, he just had that look with the sunglasses. He kind of like later on when I learned about Jim Jones, yeah, I was like, <laughs> like that dude looks like Roy Orbison. And um, I mean, instantaneously, like are we all like when we talk about stuff that influenced us, we had a lot of talks about the style, like not the playing style, but the actual look of people that were like, oh, that's cool to me. And like when people talk about, yeah, goth and you have like Andrew Eldridge or you have like, oh, yeah, Robert Smith and shit. It's like, no, dude, like one of the OG dark guys was Roy Orbison 100%. with the sunglasses. Like, even more so than Johnny Cash. Like, when people say Johnny Cash, the man in black, it's just like, dude, like, Roy Orbison's the man in black to me. Yeah, no, I agree with that, you know. And, and um, you know, Roy, Or- Roy Orbison was also signed to Sun Records, you know, which along with, like, Elvis and, and uh, you know, all those guys, all those classic, you know, old school, like, rockabilly dudes. And he started out playing rockabilly and, like, country and western music. But most of his uh, hits were between 1960 and 1966. And, uh, you know, 22 of his singles reached the the Billboard Top 40. Um, some of those tracks were, you know, some of my favorites of those were Only the Lonely, which, like, you know, how do you not like a song like that? You know, if you're some sure. outsider youth, you know what I mean? You know, Running Scared, which was one of my cousin's favorite songs. You know, I remember him uh, really being into that track when he was alive. And, um going back in time my cousin kind of looked a little bit like he kind of emulated his style a little bit with like the the long sideburns and the hair and all that sort of stuff uh crying was another one of my favorites in dreams which would come back again in the 80s with blue velvet yes and uh pretty woman which uh van halen covered which you know gave a little juice to that song yeah, it's it's like it's funny that you bring up Twin Peaks and uh, like uh, not uh, Twin Peaks, but David Lynch's work and Blue Velvet. But like, can you imagine like Towns Van Zandt? I uh, know Roy Orbison kind of looks like a Twin Peaks character in a way. You know, like it has like a hundred percent, man. He looks like some like, guy from Twin Peaks for sure. Yeah, it's like it's like, the, and what I like about it is like early on when I was looking for like dark, depressing shit. I was like, okay, so obviously you've got like, you know, like I treasure that the cures face with faith, pornography and 17 seconds the most because it's the darkest. But when you go to disintegration and, uh, and uh, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, there are some of the darkest songs the cure have ever done, but mixed in with like these super beautiful pop songs. 
And that's like, that's to me is like the balance of life. You know, you like create absolute beauty from the most utter heartbreak and darkness and balance like this light and, and light and night in it. And Roy Orbis did that. And Towns Van Zandt did that too. And probably that's why these cats like stuck to us so, so, so long term. Oh yeah, man. Like there's, you know, that, that stuff is, is, um, it always resonated with me, man. Like even, you know, I got, I like a lot of brutal music, but I also melody, you know, melody and good lyrics are always the things that stick with me the most. It seems like, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, so that, you know, that's, um, those are like the, the sort of crucial years for him, but then he had a divorce and there was all sorts of personal stuff that went on that kind of put his, his, um, career, a little bit on the back burner, you know, but then back in the eighties, he had a, a huge resurgence, um, with, uh, the traveling Wilburys of, of all things, which they had a hit song called you got it. And, uh, that, that's like a super group with, uh, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn, who played in the band ELO and, and Roy. And, uh, out of all those people I just mentioned, the only the only people I really liked were Tom Petty and Roy Orbison. The other guys are like, whatever, you know. Mm. But yeah, that kind of brought him back. Um, you know, the seventies were a little bit of like a, a down downward period for him, just because of you know, a lot of personal stuff going on, which you know would put a damper on anyone's uh, you know divorces, like that kind of stuff. You know, um, yeah. interesting, fun fact. Bruce Springsteen said he wanted the record Born to Run to sound like a Roy Orbison album. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, anyone who's been listening to any of the podcasts that I've done in the last like 10 years or so will will know that I love Bruce Springsteen. And uh, Randy and I did a covered Springsteen way back a few years ago on um, one of the topic programs that we did. And, uh, I know you guys can make fun of me, whatever, I know, the boss, New Jersey, whatever, you know. I'm not from New Jersey, first of all, and secondly, he's just a, a great American songwriter, and for the same reasons why I love Roy Orbison, I love Bruce Springsteen, because, like, the guy has so much material out there, but you can really pick through the gems and find those ones that resonate with you. If you've ever been hurt by anyone or had your heart broken or your dreams crushed or whatever or felt like giving up, you know, Springsteen is like uh, one of those guys. Like he's, his songs will help guide you through really hard times. I find, you know. And and like <clears throat> from an outsider, from like a non-American citizen, dude, like you motherfuckers are so lucky to have something like the Boss or Roy Orbison or Tom Petty, which I'm like, who I'm a big fan of, because like if you if I look like for comparable artists from Germany. And like, I mean, like most of you out there will not know Westernhagen or or uh, Klaus Lage and all these bands are like all these people are, they're fucking suck ass, man. Like this, this is so pathetic, and it's just like so such low key copies of what the Americans did, and like Americana and like this American way of songwriting, like this classic American rock, like Bruce Springsteen. Like he, this motherfucker is the man. Like he still is, oh, and yeah. Uh, like yeah, absolutely. Like if someone gives you shit for this, like he's he like this guy's a tool, man. Nah, be be, yeah. be like yeah, be glad out there like that you have stuff like Bruce Springsteen coming from your country. I mean, I, I back him one hundred percent. I I was he was a you know a little bit before my time to catch him in like the prime years, but I did see Springsteen mm-hmm. once, and it was a hundred percent worth like worth it it was a great he played for like three hours man yeah that's like his regular set time yeah yeah, right just rips it for like three hours like sweating running around you know and um you know i didn't catch him in the heyday and apparently that was like you know incredible like everyone would talk about like i I remember the, the the show i went to it was a lot of you know very neat everything was like very produced and one guy was, oh, I liked it better when you, there was stacks of amps on stage and, you know, this and that. I'm like, well, you know, hey, man, time goes on, you know. Sure. But, like, did, did you ever see Roy Orbison live? No, 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 man. That's, uh, I mean, he, he, yeah, that was that was a guy I wish I'd, 
I'd seen. But you know, the, at the era that the time that he passed, you know, uh, in the, in '88. Yeah, I wasn't going to go see Roy Orbison at that time in my life, man. You know, sure. I would yeah. see him now. I mean, if he was still alive and I was at this point in my life where I was like open to these kinds of things. But in 1988, I I just wanted like thrash metal and like brutal shit. You know what I mean? Death metal. That's yeah. all I look. That's just like dark shit. I didn't, you know, like extreme music was what I was into at that time. Sure. I, I'm glad that I always like had this this soft spot for the music that I grew up with. Like even even in my tough guy phase, where I was like pretending to only listen to Sepultura and Slayer and all these bands, like I always had like the soft spot for like the pop music that I grew up with and like early country and like my love for uh, for Tom Petty and these kind of cats and yeah and like the Traveling Wilburys were actually a thing that I was into like because. Like I had records in the collection of my parents. They had like these, uh, remember, like these super thin, wobbly vinyl editions, like, I don't know, like 20 gram vinyl or something, which is like super thin. Um, they had like a lot of best of Roy Orbison, Roy Orbison live ad and stuff like this. But like, I remember like seeing a video of uh, the Traveling Wilburys on MTV very early on, and that was like, oh, that that sounds interesting. So I got my like one of the first CDs that I bought, like in secondhand store, was the first Traveling Wilburys album, and uh, I still to this day like love this. Yeah. yeah, dude, that that I have that record. I thought it was really good. I mean, you know, it the song, uh, the hit single was pretty cool. You know, the the uh, I, I just am not a George Harrison fan, and I don't like Bob Dylan. So, but yeah, but the record itself, I, I own it because I like Roy Orbison and I love Tom Petty too. Tom Petty would be a good yeah. guy to talk about in the future episode. Maybe I would absolutely love to. That would would be one of my next suggestions. I'm a big fan. Yeah, but you know what? In the playlist, we should also throw in some of these ancillary things like Springsteen. Sure, you know, and yes. and the girls group stuff and the new york city style music you know the early 50s like swan song stuff is like goes hand in hand with roy you know yep. so there's like uh man the, the flamingos i only have eyes for you um probably the king of all those songs which always brings a f I, I have to restrain myself from crying whenever i hear this fucking song man it's um uh, this magic moment by the Drifters, originally done by the Drifters, it's been covered by a bunch of people, but the Drifters version of this magic moment is like such a magical song, man. Really, I love that song. Is that the song that's also on the Lost Highway soundtrack? Oh, dude, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. It's okay. uh, it's it's um, Lou Reed covering it. Yeah, and that scene. That is oh, probably man, one yeah. of my all-time favorite scenes in a in a David Lynch film. Is that slow motion yeah. scene where like Balthazar Getty is like sees Patricia Arquette for the first or the car her character cut out of the car in slow motion and it's just like that moment that your whole life changes when you see the person that you're well in his case <laughs> falling in into a deep obsession with which led to his downfall but when you see that person that you you know the the every the whole world changes you know i always thought that lyric was like incredible you know like yeah everything changes from that one moment you know and, but yeah that's yeah. that's um all that stuff fits in really well with roy orbison you know yep yeah we'll make a killer playlist out of this i know yeah yeah, yeah we put all his other other jams in there too and uh yeah yeah so you know a bunch of people covered his music um you know of course there's the van halen cover of uh a pretty woman which actually was a huge hit for Van Halen on Diver Down, which is a record which is primarily uh, covers. <laughs> it's <not> funny. <laughs> you imagine that? You imagine you're like this like million multi platinum band, and you put out a record of just all covers, cover songs. <laughs> you're speaking about Joe Cocker, <laughs> which like was all like he was only allowed to do covers at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, man. Uh, Roy has got. Deservedly so. I'm just gonna, you know, go through some of his honors. You know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, 1987, um, Musicians Hall of Fame, 2014, Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, Rolling Stone, 37 Greatest Artists of All Time, number 13 on the 100 Greatest Singers of All Time. 
That's pretty good, man, if you think about it. Yeah. Yep. And with Billboard, 74 on the list of top 600 recording artists. So that's, you know, he's been a celebrated artist, which is good. That's uh, definitely like a, a good list of things to be in, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, anyone out there, if, if you slept on this, you know, definitely go and, and check out Roy. Um, Glenn Danzig will, uh, will definitely attest to the power of Roy Orbison's music. You know, he, they worked on a track together, actually. Mm. Yeah, that was... Um, Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you can you can hear Roy Orbison and Danzig's voice, you know? I would have preferred to, like, if Danzig would have done, like, a covers record of Roy Orbison instead of Elvis. Oh, man, dude. I, you know, I've always thought that. You know, if you listen to, you know, his his croonier songs, like that song Sistinus, you know, this, the Danzig yeah. track Sistinus? Sure. That song is so Roy Orbison, man. It just when you listen to that song, you think of like long nighttime drives, man, you know, and just like you know, being alone and all that kind of stuff, driving some muscle car around, you know. So yeah, Glenn, if you listen to this like you always do, we hope. Uh hit hit us up and we'll we'll tell you which Roy Orbison songs we want to have you covered. <laughs> yeah. So what's up with uh with, with uh Towns Van Zant, man? I very very limited knowledge of this artist so I'm, I'm i'm predicting like after my sermon about my love for towns and all the stuff that he's involved in that you like you will be like damn why did i sleep on this guy so first off let me start off by um do you know the movie high fidelity yeah of course there's this one scene where John Cusack, it's like the beginning of the movie. He's like got his headphones on and a record's playing and he has this monologue, which has been the sample on like several records that I like the hardcore punk scene. But like that's that 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 quote will never like never lost uh, lost touch to him for me. He says, I wonder what came first, the music or the misery. Do I listen to pop music because I'm miserable? Or am I miserable because I listen to pop music? I remember that, yeah. That's like a thing that I always ask myself. Like I, in, in recent times, it's like, why, like from an early day on, why did the sad music speak to me more than the happy music? And I have no idea why. But um, so when I, when I grew up, my parents, like they, they listened to a lot of radio. So I'm a kid of the eighties. So yeah, like a lot of like the classic, you know, boy, George and, and aha and all these cats like on the radio real quick about and, aha though, that the take on me is a fucking powerful song. <laughs> that song's kind of awesome. Dude, the crazy thing about this time is like these songs will never lose their appeal as of as often as I've listened to Aha uh -huh, or even like Small Town Boy, it's just like these songs will never die. They're so good and they're produced in a way that you can, you will listen to them in 40 years and still say they sound good. You know, like the 90s really fell out. Like a lot of, like not a lot of 90s stuff has like kept its, its, its appeal, but like the 80s pop music is untouchable. Yeah. No, I agree so, 100% about that. Yeah. So like that was on on the radio and it was like my parents had like oh, by that time they listened to a lot of like German folk music, which is it's not even cool. Like the German Schlager stuff is terrible. It's just like, like there's I don't think even there is a comparison to that shit in the States. It's just like terrible German lyric music and like a lot of like yodeling and this kind of shit so like all the worst aspect that family guy always portrays of germans my parents listen to and uh but they were like younger i always imagine like my my dad had an afro when they got married my dad was like long i had like long curly hair he looked like he played in fucking at the drive-in that's awesome and uh <laughs> <laughs> so and uh so I remember that my mom, she she said when she grew up, she was a Beatles fan because that was the time when these bands were like starting to get popular. My dad was a Stones fan. And later on, when I got older and I put on the Stones, he said, like, make like shut down that crap. It's too loud. It's like, what happened? <laughs> so I, I 
I had like a tape deck and I mentioned like Michael Jackson and 1990 was my first tape that I owned by myself. But before that, like I always had like a vinyl player in, in our attic from my, from my dad. And he had like probably like 50, 40, 50 records. And there was like a best of Johnny Cash and there was a best of Roy Orbison. And one record that was in there was Towns Van Zandt's Our Mother the Mountain. Oh. And I, and I remember that I always went back to that record. And like later on, like when I when I was like paying more attention to music and details, I always found myself going back to that. And especially the the song Saint John the Gambler. And if I listen to the song today, it's still one of the saddest songs that I've ever heard. And um, so Towns Van Zandt is, uh, is like an American country musician, Americana. He is being recognized as one of the most influential songwriters and lyricists of all time. He was, uh, he was a, a poet and he was envied for his great playing. And uh, born on March 7th, 1944, died January 1st, 97. Why he was in the brink of moving to Germany because he was dating a girl from Darmstadt, Germany, like a town which is like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Oh. And yeah, but then he like uh, he succumbed at the age of 52 to well to his diseases and like the biggest diseases were his addictions. He was um, an alcoholic, uh, bipolar disorder, and heroin and drug use. At his worst, yeah. I'll kill you. Definitely. It sounds like that combination yeah. of things will definitely put you in the ground, man. Dude, like I read a book about him and like that's like, I mean, we all heard about people shooting up heroin and shit like this. But this dude was like next level. So he at one point, his best friend said like he was on tour with him. And one night he shut up cocaine mixed with vodka. Ooh. And the next next the next night he shut up rum and coke. You know, oh, like, God, dude, like he was, he was, and he did this in front of his eight-year-old son. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's uh, that that guy was dark. So, definitely, there is a movie about him called "Be Here to Love Me." You can find it on streaming platforms. It's a fantastic movie documentary about him. Um, just as his accolades. I will throw in throw out some names, namely Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, Lyle Lovett, Mel Haggard, Steve Earle, um, what do we have? Uh, Jason Isabel, Coulter Wall, Jason Molina, uh, the Cowboy Junkies, Frank Turner, Roland S. Howard, oh. the Tinder Sticks, Kevin, Eamon Ra, Marissa Nadla, they all copy uh, they all covered Townsend's end and say that he's like one of the main influences on their songwriting. This now, guy is a, yeah. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. The, the Tinder Sticks are a great band, man. I, that's a that's a. I I've been listening to the um, Trouble Every Day soundtrack quite a bit recently. Yeah, the Hungry Saw is my my record of them. That's a good like one. that cover. Yeah, like I love the cover with the saw, like sawing the heart into. Yeah. It's like I always like I always say like Murder Bait is like the the thirty three RPM version to the Tinder Sticks on forty five. <laughs> 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 interesting yeah um so yeah Towns Van Zandt is like one of the main influences for a lot of people and uh his biggest hero was Bob Dylan who later on said that like that Bob Dylan said like listening to Neil uh to Towns Van Zandt uh gave him like the energy to start over again and write new music they met briefly and uh Towns was super starstruck um have you seen the movie Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges? You know, I've always wanted to see that movie, but I haven't. You you should. It's great. It's about it's kind of like the thing he like with the wrestler about like a, a like someone whose glory days have passed and he just lives in the in the embrace of the remembrance of what who he, who he used to be and what he was. And that's kind of like te, like Jeff Bridges plays this old country music hero who's like 
who was super influential, but now he's living like barely has barely nothing, has no contact to his kids, drives around in a car, plays to like 20 people in rest stops and uh, is an alcoholic. And that's pretty much the life story of Townsend's end. He was an absolute loner. Um, married several times, had kids, but always went out on the road, couldn't cope with everything that happened. Um, he was born in Fort Worth, Texas, and his family were like like Isaac Van Zandt and his, uh, and like Claver Miller Van Zandt were like Confederate Army's founders of the Republic of Texas. So like, <laughs> oh, he's, he's like fucking royalty in Texas. But yeah, like in 56, his father gave him a first guitar and he saw Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan show. That's when he knew he wanted to become a guitar player. Um, he he started like listening to especially like Hank, Hank Williams and these kind of like guys. And um, yeah, he he was uh, he was playing and playing, playing. And then all of, he was diagnosed with manic depression. Uh, as a therapy, they treated him with three months of insulin shock therapy. Jesus, man. Yeah, which is now for, uh, which is now not allowed anymore because it causes long time long term memory damage, and that's what happened to him. So he didn't have long term memory anymore because they mistreated him like they wanted to cure depression with insulin and fucked his brain up. So damn, this, this guy, yeah, this guy was like the magnet for shit, you know. Um, he lived in 1976. He lived as a roommate to Rocky Erickson. Oh, wow. Uh, and he was supposed to play a bass in the 13th, 13th floor elevators, uh, which another band member then rejected. But, I mean, we all know, like, Rocky Erickson, like, the lifestyle he had, so also not very healthy. Um, the most productive years were between 68 and 73, where he released almost seven records, all of them are magnificent. Uh, among that was one record with the song If I Needed You, which later on was covered by Willie Nelson and became number one in the in the Billboard 100 chart and gave like a peak of a light to him. Um, but never, like he himself never became the big star that he could have been. Uh, so up until his very end, he lived in a trailer or he like drove around, drove around America with his motor home, played with a with the cowboy junkie, not the murder junkies, the cowboy junkies. <laughs> Imagine if he was in the murder junkies. <laughs> he was like playing bass for Gigi Allen. That'd be awesome. Man. <laughs> um, I mean, like, you know, like he, he fucking shut up cocaine and vodka. So like That's he might have been saying, a good friend. He, he would have <laughs> fit right in with Gigi. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, like he, um, yeah, he tried to like try to detox several times in the mid 90s. He had like a short uh, re re like revival and like Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth wanted to do a record with him and he agreed, but he was too weak and could never finish this. Um, he ended up like just living on uh, like on, on painkillers because he fell down the stairs when he was old. And then like all this old addiction, the like the pills he swallowed, it all catch caught up to him. And then he died with like just being 52 years old. Damn, um, yeah. And um, so, I mean, it's a dark, it's a dark shit, like dark life. And why why I like quoted the quote that I started in the beginning is like there's like if I needed you it's a beautiful love song it's like really cheer up up like uh, music one of his biggest songs is called lungs which is by chance and here's the one connection it was the title song in true detective season 1 episode 7 oh wow so yeah and let me just read the lyrics for you and you will know what I mean. Like why this guy is the OG in like dark, sad, loner music. Won't you lend your lungs to me? Mine are collapsing. Plant my feet and bitterly breathe up the time that's passing. Breath I'll take and breath I'll give. Pray the day's not poison. Stand among the ones that live in lonely indecision. Fingers walk the darkness down. Mind is on the midnight. Gather up the gold you found, you fool, it's only moonlight. If you stop to take it home, your hands will turn to butter. Better leave this dream alone, try to find another. 
Wow, man, that's heavy, dude. <laughs> wow. And that's like one one song, uh, like of, of several in that vein. This dude was the OG set bastard, man. Like whatever they told about Johnny Cash, like he ain't got shit on Towns. Wow, man, that's like really heavy shit, and uh, it fits in very well with like the vibe of the first season of True Detective, man, for sure. Absolutely, yes, and yeah. One of the things you mentioned that. Um, Pete Shelley, who is it? Pete Shelley? Who from Sonic? Uh, Steve, 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 Steve Shelley. Yeah. Steve Shelley? Steve Shelley. A fucking, like a no-talent motherfucker wanted to make a record with this guy. <laughs> I, I, you know how I feel about Sonic Youth, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're, Me they're, too. they're like a gimmick band, in my opinion. With yeah. no, with no yeah. front With no front man. <laughs> it's yeah. like... The worst guitar, worst players ever. The drum, all every drummer in that band has completely sucked, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah and, and but that's that's again the 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 thing with a crazy heart movie is like a guy like this who has been so incredibly talented and so incredibly important uh, needs to get a plug from some hipster band and like try to like okay i'll do a record with them so i can get a bit more money and treat my all my diseases and illnesses yeah yeah it's fucking heavy man that i i i need to we, you need to make a little list here of like some of the tracks to really um yes really focus on so everyone else can check it out and this will all be in the playlist of course yeah um i mean like uh, like i mentioned he he is like He's the OG and like an important, uh, important uh, influence on so many people. That's why New Road Records released uh, three records by now called the, the Music of the Late Great Towns Van Zand, where um, Steve Until, um, uh, Scott Kelly, John Basley, Mike Scheid of Yop. Why No, they all cover the songs of Towns Van Zandt. Like there's three installments. Eamon Ra did a whole EP with just covers of Towns Van Zandt and played them live when they're acoustic sets. Um, yeah, man, like he he was like pretty much it's like doom. It's like, yeah, it's like doom, doom music, like the saddest doom music you will hear ever played on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. I'm looking forward to really digging into the catalog in the next couple of days. Yeah, be sure to like if you if you can track down the documentary, like watch it and like it will give you like a great insight on, oh like what a charismatic and loner character he was, and yeah man, it's like that was one of the records that my parents had. And like I and I know my 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 father is really fluent in English, and he always told me to actually listen to the lyrics of music, but he wanted just wanted to teach me to learn English. And I can't, I can't really see him sitting in his room as a youngster, listening to Towns and be like, "Oh yeah, he's speaking to me." Like I, I never spoke to him about him. Like I know, like how he told me he loved the Stones back then, but uh, this is like heavy shit. And like, yeah, and it was implanted in me very early, and it resonated with me when I was eight or nine years old. And to this day, Towns is still the man. And uh, yeah, there was like a big dispute, like like it's happening with Michael Jackson and with a lot of the Prince stuff, where uh, the old managers and the family fight for the money and the rights to the songs, um, especially like in the streaming age. And uh, that's why, like right now, you see like a lot of like Townsend's end records pop up as reissues. There's two records from the way it looks that are completely finished that have never seen the light of day. Um, one has been recorded and then like the studio didn't get the money, so they threw away the tapes. Oh, but like but one like it looks like one person like fished out the tapes and made like a tape copy of it. So at some point maybe we'll get like bootleg copies of this. It's kind of like the same fucking thing with Event Horizon and the cutout scenes of the of the hell scene. Oh yeah. It's just like I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there to dig into. Like he has a like huge output and but yeah, like right now, if you wanna like not not only you but like whoever's listening out there, if you're like not familiar with towns and you like tap into it on Spotify, check out our playlist. Now is the time to get your hands on some some vinyl copies 
because even on Discogs, like the old shitty copies that are like run down from our parents, um, they were like expensive because they were sort of rare. But now you get like high quality copies that are really outstanding. I bought a bunch of them and I'm really happy to like spin it on vinyl. What, uh, what are some of the titles of these LPs that, are, that have been reissued that you recommend? Um, so one, uh, like my, my favorite album is, uh, the second album from 1969, Our Mother, the Mountain, which features, uh, my favorite town song, St. John, the Gambler. Um, his, his first record for the sake of the song is great. Um, 1972's The Late Great Towns Van Zandt is fantastic. Um, and there's, um, wait, posthumous albums uh yeah a far cry from dead is also great but like you can't go wrong between between 68 and 94 there were two, 10 10 records by him and i think flying shoes late grade the self-titled delta mama blues our mother mountain and for the sake of the song are still available if you want to get, have a good starting point do it like i did with our mother the mountain you will not be disappointed excellent that's a great recommendation man 100 yeah. percent. wow that's cool that's um like i said that's a name that's been out in the periphery like obviously i i probably know the covers more than i know the ex the actual songs because um yeah you know just from like the steve on till and uh you know mike mike uh mike from yobs you know contributions to that and um that's that's i probably like i said i probably know the covers more and obviously i know the didn't know it was Towns Van Zandt, but the song from uh, True Detective, you know? Yep, yeah. Perfect fit. Could have also been, like, a perfect fit for for the the, the new Twin Peaks season when they had, like, artists play in the, in the, um, in the, um, what's the cafe? Damn. Uh, you know, like, wherever, like, where oh, the chromatics the played. Yeah, and, yeah. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You could have, you could have uh, like like a late like an old town Zanzan play, but I mean he he died in '97, so it would have been possible. Yeah. But yeah, he could like he could feature in like a David Lynch movie. He could like feature in like I don't know if you watch movies like Into the Wild and this kind of shit. It's like it's great. Like the this you can really hear the longing and the loneliness in nature out there. So yeah, recommendation is watch Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges and listen to some Towns Van Zandt. What what did you uh I don't know if we ever actually spoke about this, but what do you what was your opinion on the the, the last season of Twin Peaks? I I don't know if we ever actually spoke about this. Uh no, we didn't, I yeah. think. Um too long. Yeah. There's uh it is there's the beginning is great and the ending is what I wanted. But in between, there are too many, too many episodes with the goofy version of, uh, of, uh, oh, damn, Dale, Dale Dale Cooper. Dale yeah, Cooper. of Dale Cooper's character, like where he's, uh, I don't know, he has like a nickname when he's working in the office. I completely forgot that. It's like complete episodes of hours that like spend on that. But then there's this crazy ass episode, which is just like art, like the one where you can see like the birth of the darkness. Yeah. You know, of the Black Lodge, which is just like, which I was like, okay, so he does this on mainstream TV, like an hour of just like, I don't know, performance art. It's just so crazy. I love it. Of course, I back it, but I think it's too long. It could have been shrunken down to uh, to um, like less episodes. And um, I mean... The fun about the old Twin Peaks was there was no internet and you just had to make up the mind of your own. With the new one, I found myself that there were like message boards discussing all the the storylines and, okay, this tree means that and this is this. And I'm like, okay, it kind of makes sense. And then the books came out, uh, like the, the accompanying these two seasons. So, um, which was cool. Like I loved all that shit. I bought all that shit. But I've actually never gone back to rewatch the third season. I, I watched the, the first and second season probably annually. I think ever since the original screening, I've never seen the third season again. I should do it, though. Yeah, the, um, the first season, episode number two, specifically that episode, mm. is my all-time favorite TV moments are in that. That's with, mm. uh, you know, with... Um, 
you know, the, the little guy dancing at the end and the dream sequence yeah. and all that. And, uh, you know, that, that's just magic to me, man. Yeah. It's, it's this, this show still holds up so much. It's still my favorite TV show of all times. And, uh, I mean, like our, our mutual favorite of true detective that we just mentioned is probably my top three. There's only the leftovers, like the three seasons of leftovers is up there. And six feet under is like shortly beneath it, but like Twin Peaks will always be the real deal, man. Like it's my favorite show of all times. Yeah, that's um, definitely uh, one of my all-time favorites. And I, I, I had to, I didn't watch that in real time, man. Like I, I didn't have a TV the time at the time this was out. I was living this like uh, Huckleberry Finn uh, <laughs> type of existence. <laughs> so uh, there was no TV. Uh, then I had to watch it later on VHS tapes. You know, which is probably better because then you can watch it back to back. The only problem is like if you heard spoilers before, because I remember like in Germany, it was I think it was pushed back half a year. And so like it took a while and then you watch it in German and then it was not like I didn't see it chronologically. I just remember that when Twin Peaks came out, I was really young and I was so afraid of the little man oh, yeah. and the Black Lodge especially like in the end when when like uh, when cooper's colleague Wyndham earl shows up and he loses his mind and mm -hmm. then the last two episodes that pretty much take place in the black lodge and uh, with the doppelgangers oh man like to this day it gives me the creeps yeah, yeah it's kind of terrifying actually that there are moments of that show that that's the juxtaposition of the really scary stuff and then the yeah. you know the kind of emotional like heart you know like the, there's like that soft side and the hard side and it's just such a yeah. interesting way to tell a story you know sure the um firewalk with me the movie i thought was really great too it is it doesn't deserve the hate it gets I, I i know from a fan's perspective it was shitty to release it before like the actual killer was revealed so like if you watched it in real time you knew who the killer was because be before the end of the season but the movie is not half bad it's actually pretty good yeah. And uh, tying it back to Roy Orbison, uh, Chris Isaac was good in that movie. I just wanted to say that, like, the, the David Bowie and Chris Isaac are like in the first minutes. And dude, Chris uh, Chris Isaac is one cat we could talk about on here. I yep. love Chris Isaac, and he is one hundred percent all about Roy Orbison, as you can tell from his uh, songs and his absolutely, absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, that it wasn't um the very first. Have you heard the fir very first Chris Isaac record? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Silvertone. Yep, the Lonely Ones. It's a fucking yeah. basically it's a fucking Roy Orbison yeah. song, man. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Yeah, and I like I, I always thought like is he like the ghostwriter for that song? I mean, like <laughs> like like how how like sixty percent of all hits from the eighties are like actually written by Prince and just other people singing it. It's like oh yeah, Skinhead O'Connor's song is so great. Yeah, it was written by Prince. Oh really? <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, man. But um, yeah, so that's that's what we're going to be doing on these episodes. It's talking about classics, you know, and stuff yep. that probably doesn't get covered too often, you know. I mean, at least not by the yep. likes of us, you know. Yeah. By like uh, junkhead metal metal dudes, <laughs> like buff buff metal stallions. We are. Oh yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Right on, man. Well, thanks for uh, listening, everyone. I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, you know, this is uh, a lot of fun to talk about this stuff. I mean, especially since these classics are going way back with both of us, I think, to those formative years. And, uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to uh, to more stuff in that vein, man. Can't, can't wait. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care now. Thanks for listening. A candy-colored clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night and Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is all right I close my eyes then I drift away into the magic night. I 
I softly say A silent prayer Like dreamers do Then I fall asleep to dream My dreams of you In dreams I walk with you Dreams I talk to you. 